Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Abraham believed what God had said, that he would make him the father of a great nation, that he would give him a land that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He believed in God. Abraham believed what the Lord said, and his faith, his tiny bit of faith, in the great accounting room of heaven was exchanged for the righteousness of God. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. But what about the people who lived before Jesus' time on earth? Did they have the same opportunity to be saved? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains how Abraham's story gives us the answer. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. In the book of Genesis, we read a surprising statement about Abraham. It says that Abraham was a man of faith, and as such, God gave him due credit for his behavior. God said Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. What do you think that means for us today? Does God still grant us credit for our behavior? Or did Jesus wipe out that system when he paid the ultimate price on the cross? Those may sound like esoteric questions, but they're not. It's imperative that you and I truly understand what it means to become righteous. We're going to address this important topic on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Now, as a complement to this teaching series, I'd like to send you my newest book called Walking by Faith. In my new book, I'll show you how Abraham's faith journey should become your goal. Now, in my book, I don't spend much time aggrandizing Abraham, and for good reason. Abraham wasn't perfect, and putting him on a pedestal only makes us feel like we're lacking. Instead, my book, Walking by Faith, will inspire you to express your trust in God by stepping forward in faith, even when your future appears uncertain. Let me send you a copy of Walking by Faith when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. I'm going to say more about this opportunity just after today's message. But right now, let's give our complete attention to a brand new study. It's never been shared with our Pathway to Victory family. I titled today's message, The Night Abraham Was Saved. Many of you may have seen that movie, The Last Emperor. It really is a fascinating story of the last emperor of China who was anointed as he was a young child. He lived in the lap of luxury. He had a thousand eunuch servants around him. And one day his brother came to visit with him and said, what happens when you do something wrong? And the young emperor said, oh, that's easy. When I do wrong, one of my servants is punished. And to illustrate that, he takes a jar, he drops it on the marble floor, it shatters into millions of pieces, and then he has one of his servants beaten for what he did. You know, Jesus, our King, reversed that pattern. When we, his servants, do wrong, it's King Jesus who suffers in our place. You know, sin is a real problem we all face. It can't be ignored. It can't be glossed over. Somebody has to pay for our sin. As Philip Yancey said, 
Grace is only free because the giver of grace is the one who bore the cost himself. How is it that God takes our wrongdoing and exchanges it for his righteousness in us? That's what we're going to talk about today. Today we have come to the single verse in the entire Old Testament that best explains how a person who is sinful can be right before God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 15 as we discover the night Abraham was saved. Genesis chapter 15, verse 2. He said, Lord, what will you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Basically, he was saying, God, for these 15 years now, you've been promising that you were going to give me a land, you were going to make me the father of a great nation, and through me, all the nations of the world would be blessed. But where's that child you promised? You know, Abraham knew that to be a father of a great nation, he had to first of all be the father of one, one single person. And yet he hadn't been able to do that yet. So he asked the question, Lord, is this servant of mine, Eleazar, is he the one who is going to fulfill the promise? Verse 4, then behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham saying, this man is not your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir there's still a son to be born. You are going to be the father of a great nation. And then he takes Abraham outside. It's beginning to grow dark. He says, Abraham, look up and look at the stars. See if you can number them. And the sky was filled with stars. And Abraham begins counting one, two, three, four. God, I can't count all those stars. God says, exactly. So shall the number of your descendants be. And then we get to that key verse, verse 6. And then Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. This single verse explains how Abraham was saved, how everybody in the Old Testament was saved, and how you and I are saved today. It's never changed. It's not that people in the Old Testament were saved one way and they were saved a different way today. We're all saved the same way. I want you to write this down. We are saved by God's grace, number one, received through our faith, number two, paid for by the death of Christ, number three. Salvation has always been that way. Salvation is by God's grace received through our faith and paid for by the blood of Christ. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, I want you to notice two key phrases in that verse. First of all, he believed God. He believed God. It's not that he believed that God exists. You don't go to heaven because you believe that God exists. You know what Psalm 14:1 says? A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That word fool in Hebrew is the word we get moron from. Literally, you have to be a moron to believe God doesn't exist. I mean, you know, how, how do you explain everything we see? How do you explain the stars, the oceans, other people, everything we see? You know how the atheist explains it? He said, oh, you want to know how everything came into being? Nothing times no one equals everything. 
In other words, how is it that absolute nothing became everything? Well, nothing times no designer, no creator equals everything we see. You have to be a moron to believe that. And believing that there's a creator God isn't enough to get you into heaven. No, it's that Abraham believed the promises of God. That's what the context is. Abraham believed what God had said, that he would make him a father of a great nation, that he would give him a land that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He believed in God. And in that promise was a spiritual promise, a land, a seed of a nation, and a spiritual blessing. How do I know there is a spiritual component to this promise? Because of what Paul said in Galatians 3, verses 6 to 9. Look at those verses. This is Paul's commentary on that Old Testament passage. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. When God made his promise to Abraham, he preached the gospel to Abraham. It wasn't just a national blessing, it was a spiritual blessing. Abraham, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, how much of the gospel Abraham understood, we don't know. Did he understand everything about the coming Messiah? Probably not. But he understood enough to believe in it. And you know, in the final analysis, it doesn't matter how much Abraham knew because it wasn't Abraham's faith that saved him. Did you know nobody is saved by faith? You can't have enough faith to earn salvation. We are saved by God's grace that is received through our faith. And that leads to the second phrase here. He reckoned it as righteousness. God took Abraham's faith and he reckoned it as righteousness. Now, reckon is a term we use here in Texas all the time. I reckon it's going to rain today. That's not the kind of reckoning the Bible's talking about. In the Hebrew, the word reckon is an accounting term. It means to put to somebody else's account. It's the same thing with Abraham. When he believed in whatever revelation God gave him, his faith to believe whatever it was, was taken and it was exchanged for the righteousness, the unlimited riches of God. Now, you know, I'm often asked, wait a minute, that happened before Christ died, almost 2,000 years before Christ died. How is it that Abraham or any of the Old Testament saints were saved if Christ had not yet died? Have you ever wondered about that? How could people be saved without the death of Christ? You just said, Pastor, that our righteousness is based on and paid for by the death of Christ. Well, the Old Testament saints were saved on credit. That's what I call it. They were saved on credit. Listen, all of the Old Testament people who were saved made some kind of act of faith. For Adam and Eve, it was the act of putting on the animal covering that God made for them. For Noah, it was building an ark. For Moses, it was the willingness to offer the sacrifice uh, prescribed, the Levitical sacrifices. They were all 
recipients of God's grace when they showed some kind of act of faith. But those acts, whether it was putting on an animal covering, offering an animal sacrifice, building a boat, that wasn't enough to get those people into heaven. It was simply putting down their faith credit card, a promise to pay. You know when the bill came due? 2,000 years later on Mount Calvary, when Jesus paid for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. He paid the sin bill. And that's why in John 19.30, some of his final words on the cross were, tetelestai, tetelestai, literally, it is finished. That word means paid in full. And today, how are we saved? The same way. We look not toward the death of Christ, we look backward at the death of Christ, believing in our hearts that when we trust in what Christ did for us on the cross, our sin is exchanged for his righteousness. It's always been the same. We are saved by God's grace, received through our faith, paid for by the death of Christ. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 4. Hold your place here and turn to Romans 4 for just a moment. You know, Paul was making the point that we are saved not by works, but by God's grace. And he uses Abraham as an example of that. In chapter 3, verse 28, he says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And then he keeps going. There was no chapter transition. Uh, it just kept going. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, did according to the flesh? The Jews objected to this idea of salvation by grace. They thought it was works. And they said, look at Abraham, Paul. Surely he was saved by his works. Think of what he did. He uprooted his family, went to the promised land, was willing to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Surely that's enough to be saved. Isn't that what saved Abraham? Paul says in verse 2, no, for if Abraham was justified, that is made right with God by works, he has something to boast about, for, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? And then he quotes Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and that was credited to him as righteousness. And then Paul adds in verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. What he's saying is, if you work for something and are paid for it, what you get is not grace, it's an obligation. How many of you, every two weeks when you get your paycheck, go into your employer and say, oh, thank you so much. That is so gracious of you. I can't imagine that you would do such a thing for me as to give me this check. Do you do that? I don't have one staff member who does that. You know why? Because what we give them is not a gift. It's what they earn. And that is why God refuses to allow us to work in any way for our salvation. If we are allowed to work for our salvation, then salvation is not a gift, it's an obligation. And ladies and gentlemen, God refuses to owe any man or woman salvation. It is a gift. It is a gift of grace. That's how salvation comes. And then that verse, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. That's what we mean by the grace transaction. And so here's the bottom line question for you. What are you trusting in for God to allow you into heaven? Your righteousness or the righteousness of Christ? 
Abraham believed what the Lord said and his faith, his tiny bit of faith in the great accounting room of heaven was exchanged for the righteousness of God. Now, Abraham had some questions. When God said that, Abraham thought, this is too easy. This is too easy. I just simply believe God and somehow I'm made right with God. God, how can I know you will keep your promise to me? Notice the confirmation of the transaction. How can I know? Look at verse 8. He said, O Lord, how may I know that I will possess the land? God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then Abraham brought all of these things to God and he cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. What in the world is going on there? In Abraham's day, now listen to this. This is the best part of the sermon. In Abraham's day, when two kings were going to make a contract with one another, a bilateral contract, the way they ratified that contract was by taking these animals, slicing them down the backbone. It was a bloody mess. And they would put one half of the animal on one side, the other half of the animal on the other side. And then the two kings would each take a torch and they would walk side by side between those animal pieces. And it was a way of signifying that each king had a responsibility to keep that contract intact. And if one of the kings failed to keep his end of the deal, well, the blood represented what would happen to him. He would lose his life. He said, may I lose my life if I don't keep my end of the bargain. So God had made a contract with Abraham. How did Abraham know that God was going to keep his end of the bargain? God tells Abraham, okay, get the animals, slice them down the back. You know the drill. So Abraham does that. But then before Abraham and God walk through the animal pieces together, notice what happens. Verse 12, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. In other words, after Abraham sliced those animals up, God put Abraham to sleep. (sighs) Abraham was over in the corner in a deep sleep when God took the torch and he walked between the animal pieces by himself. Why did he do that? He was signifying that the Fulfillment of this covenant didn't depend upon what Abraham did or didn't do. It was an unconditional promise. It depended upon the faithfulness of God. God made this contract, this promise, not with Abraham, but with himself. Oh, preacher, you're reading way too much into that. You think so? Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews 6, verses 13 to 14. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he himself could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. You say, well, that's great for Abraham. It all depended upon the faithfulness of God. What does that mean for me? 
How do I benefit from that? Listen to this. God has made an unconditional contract, a covenant with you and with me. And it's simply this. If we will confess our sins before God, acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy, and believe with all of our heart that Jesus Christ was the payment for our sins, then God will take all of the righteousness that belongs to Jesus and he will deposit them in your spiritual bank account so that when you die, not if you die, when you die, you will be welcomed into heaven, not based on your spiritual financial statement, but on the righteousness of Jesus himself. Oh, pastor, that's just too easy. Don't I have to do something to ratify that, to earn my salvation? No, the fulfillment of that unconditional promise from God depends upon God and God alone. He is not only the one who can save you, he's the only one who can keep you saved. And you see that over and over again in scripture. John 10, 28, Jesus said, and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. No man shall snatch out of my hands those whom the father has given me. Romans 11 and 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They can't be taken back, no matter what you do or don't do. Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him. Or think about Jesus' own words in John chapter 3, 14 and 16. For as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him has eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. But pastor, what if I falter in my belief? What if I quit believing? 2 Timothy 2, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That's how we are saved, by simply believing trusting in, clinging to the death of Christ for our forgiveness. Let me ask you the most important question of all. What are you looking to to save you when you die? Are you looking to yourself? You're going to be disappointed one day. None of us is righteous enough to earn salvation. Are you looking at other people thinking, well, I may not be perfect, but I'm better than they are. God doesn't grade on, on the curve. He said it's not enough to be better. You have to be perfect. The only way to be assured of heaven is to looking to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when you look one time and put your faith and trust in the Savior, God takes your little amount of faith and he credits it for righteousness. Abraham believed God and his faith was counted as righteousness. Salvation through Jesus Christ is a gift we cannot earn. Connecting with God has nothing to do with cleaning up our act or trying to be nicer to other people. Under our own power, it's impossible to meet God's requirement. None of us is righteous, no, not one. Even so, God has made a way for us to become right with Him. He invites us to walk with Him side by side. Isn't that amazing? That's the core message of this brand new teaching series, Walking by Faith. It's also the theme of my brand new book with the same title. And right now, you're invited to request your copy. It comes with my thanks when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. 
By reading my new book, I believe you'll find powerful ways to walk alongside God as never before. Your relationship, your friendship with God is the most important relationship in life. Doesn't it seem fitting that you would learn how to connect with God in meaningful ways? My book will equip you with practical ways to do just that. Now, this is a time-limited offer, so be sure and respond today. Again, my book is called Walking by Faith. Now, in closing, let me reinforce my gratitude for your continued generosity with Pathway to Victory. Our relationship represents a partnership. It wouldn't be possible to share this daily program with you were it not for people like you who give voluntary gifts. David will explain how to get in touch with us today. And your response is vitally important because the summer months tend to be lean for nonprofit ministries like Pathway to Victory. Your phone call, your letter, your generous gift today will mean so much. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You're invited to request a copy of the brand new book from Dr. Jeffress called Walking by Faith when you give a generous gift to Pathway to Victory. Here's our toll-free number, 866-999-2965, or online you can visit ptv.org. And when you give an especially generous gift of $75 or more, we'll also include the complete Walking by Faith teaching series on audio and video discs, plus the companion study guide. Call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. You could also send your request by mail right to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. One more time, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Wednesday, Dr. Jeffress talks about the time when Abraham and Sarah grew tired of waiting on God to give them a child. Discover how their fateful decision led to harsh consequences. That's next time on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.